dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sharing the fourth and final episode of Oregon's Wine Month, Understanding the Soils and Climate. Oregon's complex geology and temperature climate make it unique among U.S. wine regions. 23 AVAs span the state with distinctive vineyards planted from the eastern Cascades along the mighty Columbia River to the wide fertile valley of the Willamette and Southern Oregon AVAs. If you've listened to a lot of podcasts, you know that many ask for Patreon. We do not plan on doing this, but we do ask you to support the podcast by leaving a review. It only takes a few seconds of your time, but means so much to the show. The next best way you can support Explore the Wine Glass is to tell your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, your wine-loving friends will too. Finally, don't forget to head to the website, exploringthewineglass.com, to read the blog and sign up for the newsletter so you can keep up with all the happenings. Slancha. No, no, no. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Day service, champagne and coteron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to the final in our series for Oregon Wine Month. Uh, We are going to focus today on thinking about uh, the soils and the climate of Oregon wine and how they contribute to the quality of wine and the styles of wine that are grown here. So it is going to be um, a deep dive into the dirt. So I hope you're ready to get your hands dirty um, and think about, um, you know, really everything that comes together to make Oregon really the one of the most ideal places um, in the world for high quality grape growing. Um, And it really does come down to this confluence of uh, soils, um, very diverse soils, uh, mostly younger soils, um, very um, enthusiastic grape growers who love to spend a lot of time in their vineyards and so are really monitoring the quality of the fruit that they're growing and trying to understand how they can make that direct relationship between the soil and what the soil grows and how the vine responds to the inputs of the soil, the nutrients, um, the free draining capacity, um, really everything that makes um, for quality winemaking that comes from the soil. Um, You will often hear, um, uh, you know, a lot of grape growers saying that You know, soil is very important, but it's about what you do in the cellar as well. Um, The winemakers certainly feel that way. Um, You can uh, certainly taste certain influences of the soil um, in the wines in terms of how they express uh, certain fruit flavors and certain certain fruit profiles um, and also um, 
the viability of the healthy um, yeast and uh, nitrogen nutrient levels in those grapes when they come into the winery is really because of the great work that's been done uh, by our wine growers in the vineyard. Um, so understanding that relationship between the growers and the winemakers is an important relationship. The other factor that we can't forget about is really the um, relationship between the climate and, and our soils and the grapes grown. So how much rainfall we receive during the winter months, how much rainfall or lack of we receive during the summer months and how that impacts um, what we're able to do in the vineyard as well or our need to do less in the vineyard, um, which is really uh, what leads to a lot of our sustainability efforts is having a really lovely long dry growing season um, with a limited disease pressure uh, makes for great quality grapes, um, which leads to great wine. So um, all of those things really are an important factor uh, for the really the positioning of Oregon wine and how much attention Oregon wine has received considering that the region you know is you know really only been planted since the 1960s or mid 60s so quite um you know a very good global reputation for a new region um, has come together because of the growers and winemakers commitments to understanding this really tight-knit relationship between the soils what we can contribute to the soils that can really help the grapes thrive and make into quality wine uh, and really harnessing the potential of our um, climate and growing season. Let's get into the discussion of how our region began. You know, one of the things that is most striking about Oregon um, and Washington for that matter to some extent and especially the AVAs that we share is the ability to really observe um, the actual geological formations uh, while you're traveling wine country. It's completely possible for you to plan your entire wine tour around following the path of the Missoula floods. And then by following that path, you're also led into the eruptions of the Cascade Ranges and the um, confluence of the two uh, tectonic plates coming together, which is uh, brutally visible in the Columbia Gorge uh, region. And as you move further south, uh, through Oregon, you can you continue to see these remnants and examples of this um, collision of the Juan de Fuca and North American tectonic plates colliding together. And as they brush together against each other over thousands of years, they're actually outlaying different pieces of um, ocean floor onto the other plate. And so this accreted terrain, as it's called, as these plates continue to come together, is a confluence of layering of this ocean sediment um, and marine, ancient marine soils being layered on top of each other until uh, Oregon and Washington have really you know, accreted enough terrain that it rises them out of the Pacific Ocean. 
So on this map here, you can see that, you know, 200 million years ago is when these plates were colliding for hundreds of years. These collisions were what was layering this marine sediment soil, which really makes up the entire bedrock of the Pacific Northwest. And the Pacific Ocean 200 million years ago spread into Montana and Idaho. So Idaho was out of the water, but Washington, most of Washington and all of Oregon was still very much under the Pacific Ocean. So it was these tectonic plate collisions that are still occurring today and still happen regularly. Um, we are on a fault line here, here in the, the Pacific Northwest. So these collisions are really what started that transition and that evolution of Oregon and Washington and our distinctive soils. So these marine sediment soils are present most prominently in Southern Oregon and also in the Willamette Valley. However, in the Willamette Valley and uh, the Columbia Gorge and Walla Walla AVAs, they're layered with other basalt and low soils from other geological shifts. So 16 to 10 million years ago, these plates continue to subduct under the North American plate, which then is bringing, uh, rising up the sediments of the coast range above the water. All of the Cascade mountain range um, are formed inland above the water from the accumulation of uh, underneath, under sea volcanics. Um, and these continued crashing of the plates are the continued um, evolution of these volcanic soils. So these volcanic soils are what is then rushing into southern Oregon uh, and parts of the uh, parts of the Willamette River and Columbia River as well. Until we're having a lot of um, a lot of the the soils really um, obtruding um, at higher elevations and so starting to cover these marine sediment soils with the volcanics that are created so this um, 16 million years ago um, those fissures that are created um, by the by the plates colliding um, and uh, you know these fissures in the in the earth's um, crust are really what is creating these blue mountains and the cascade ranges and really what is separating the difference in growing season um, and growing terrain between Washington and Oregon. So the blue mountains are the mountain range um, along with the Panoosas that are in um, the eastern part of Oregon and eastern Washington. These very heavy volcanic flows are pouring forth for hundreds of millions of years. So these are pouring over uh, the entire Columbia Basin. And this is actually what has made uh, grape growing conceivable uh, and agriculture conceivable in the eastern part of Washington and along the Columbia River and northern part of the Willamette Valley. These basaltic flows have actually weighed down the landscape enough to take it from being hundreds of feet, hundreds of thousands of feet high and too high elevation for quality grape growing 
to layering it and weighting down the land, the land under this um, epic amounts of lava flows in eastern Washington, which is really what all of the um, Washington major AVAs east of the Cascades are formed around, is these immense, deep, basalt lava soils. These lava flows flowed out to the Columbia, through the Columbia River um, and out to the Pacific Ocean, but it's really these um, heavy soils that have made this area um, viable uh, in terms of not being above um, very, you know, 700,000 feet in elevation um, where it's just impossible to grow uh, Vitus vinifera vines. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about the differences between Washington grape growing and Oregon grape growing. You know, there's all the um, grape growing east of the Cascades in Washington is because of this heaviness and layering um, density of the basaltic flows. Whereas the basalt flows didn't flow into Oregon very far, they remained above, you know, Redmond and Bend uh, and the higher desert areas of Oregon. So that's why up in those areas in Bend and those upper Cascades, we do have some grape growing, but it's primarily hybrid varieties that can withstand um, some of these high elevations um, and cool temperatures. So that's the main difference in soil type and in, in elevation levels. Um, it's also the reason why the majority of Oregon's grape growing is happening closer to the coast, because that cascade range is the dividing line in Oregon as to where you can really, um, you know, be at a good elevation for premium uh, Vitus vinifera production. Our very much younger um, soils start to form um, with the Ice Age. So two and a half million years ago, um, the ice shelf is formed, spreading across uh, the Pacific Northwest and Canada, um, and really um, starts to, you know, slough and um, scour away some of these basalt volcanic soils. And as this melt happens, this constant thawing um, and melting and blowing of ice, what it's really blowing away is a lot of this volcanic um, lava flow that's been weighting down um, all of the, you know, the scablands and, and eastern Washington uh, and northern Oregon soils. This is the part where you can literally follow from, you know, Idaho and Montana, the path of the Missoula floods and see them very visibly um, in the vineyards along the um, from really from Walla Walla to the Columbia Gorge and down into the Willamette Valley is where you can see this impact of the Cordillerian ice sheet starting to thaw um, and this massive ice dam, which was holding back, you know, thousands of, of feet of water. Um, and that was in Lake Marzula in Montana. You had this incredibly dense uh, ice structure um, that was really sort of like you know an ice an ice cube sitting in a you know in a drink where you know it starts to melt and it lessens and the water escapes through it and then it freezes again and then more water escapes through it 
And so when you're having so much water escaping at, you know, 60 to 70 miles an hour traveling through Eastern Washington, scouring away um, all of that very dense basalt lava flows, creating the scab lands of Eastern Washington. Um, and you can really drive, you know, from Spokane all the way down to the Columbia River and see where these, um, this, you know, water effect has carved out um, almost a bathtub ring of, um, of more uh, deeper, um, you know, land that you can now actually maintain, uh, work on, and you can, you know, farm because it's washed away the higher elevations, continued scouring down um, a lot of that basalt, and it's flowing down into the Columbia River Valley, widening the Columbia River. Um, it deepens and widens that Columbia Gorge, and this is where you're driving along the, um, the highway there, and you can see those bathtub rings where the water went to and settled and sat and where the flood deposits started to settle um, in the different uh, levels of the Columbia Gorge. Now, remember, this did that about 16 or 17 times over you know, the um, hundreds of year period. Um, so this was not something that happened you know, particularly quickly, quickly in, I guess, geological forms. Um, but it's very um, evident when you're traveling through this area. And this is all important for what you're able to grow and also the nutrients that are uh, able to be retained in these soils. Uh, and then, of course, you get the climate coming in on top of that. So we're going to get a little bit more into what grows where and why and some of the characteristics once we get through this geological part. So the water floods down into the Willamette Valley and parts of the Columbia Valley, uh, and it actually forms Lake Allison in the Willamette Valley, which is the lowest lying part of the Willamette Valley and is basically, you know, a lot of the area that the Willamette Valley AVA is sourced around. It's also one of the reasons that most of the nested AVAs within the Willamette Valley started around 200 to 250 feet elevation is because that was where that shallow lake um, was sitting. And so the, the soils are very different between that shallow lake and the hillsides. So we'll get into that when we get into Willamette Valley, but keep that in mind about how water moves, what it's bringing with it, um, the weight of the items in the soil and, uh, sorry, in the water flows. So heavier items, um, a lot of, you know, granites um, and erratics from the Cordillerian ice sheet and from um, the, Can the Canadian uh, Rockies are, are taken down um, and deposited along the river valleys. So you have these granitic erratics, we call them, that are really found in many or sitting alongside many vineyards um, in the Columbia Gorge uh, and even parts of the Willamette Valley as these massive, powerful floods um, you know, really surge through um, the Pacific Northwest. So the silty of finer sediments continue to carry further down, and that's what we're left with in the valley floors of the Willamette Valley. Uh, here's another image of, um, of the Missoula flood um, 
path. So like I mentioned, you can actually drive this and it's a fascinating drive, um, you know, and also a lot of fun because you can stop at vineyards and wineries along the way and really understand what is in your glass because of what you're looking at around you. So the channeled scablands in uh, northern eastern Washington um, carved out because of these flood zones and, and are carving away a lot of the basalt that was laid down here. Um, the Tri-Cities becomes a large glacial lake and so does into the Yakima Valley. Uh, and then the Wallula Gap, which you pass through on your way um, from Oregon into, into Washington uh, and to Walla Walla is, is that thin point um, where everything again um, gets carved through this massive um, uh, you know, fold or the fold banks. If you look at Washington, uh, Washington's you know, AVAs are in east to west folds because of the um, tectonic plates. So they're in east to west folds and that Wallula Gap is one of those folds. And so this channeling of the land, of the, of the water to push through that Wallula Gap and then form another lake uh, before being again pushed further down the Columbia River into Portland and into that glacial Lake Allison in the Willamette Valley. So really relying on the lowest parts of um, these, these valleys to rest in. So really beautiful country if you're able to, you know, take a trip um, and, and carve it along uh, the path of the Missoula floods. It's still very, very evident here uh, and really important in our conversation around grape growing. We have around, uh, um, you know, across the state, um, most of the AVAs are being uh, in the northern Willamette Valley where that uh, Lake Allison drained out of. However, most of those AVAs in the in the northeast that you can see there, sorry, the northwest that you can see there, um, are above where that Lake Allison uh, bathtub ring would have settled. So very different soil types. So keep that in mind. Um, keep in mind that Oregon shares several AVAs with Washington and Idaho, Snake River Valley with Idaho, um, which does see some of that volcanic basalt that carved out with all of those volcanic eruptions carved out those river valleys in Idaho uh, and the Snake River Valley and then Walla Walla, Columbia Valley AVA and Columbia Gorge we share with Washington. So let's start uh, in the northeast and we'll start and we'll move south from there. So the Walla Walla Valley, um, one of the first areas um, settled and where grapes were first, first grown in the Pacific Northwest, where fur trappers, um, you know, 200 years ago settled and, and brought vines with them from the eastern shores. So Walla Walla is only mildly impacted by the Missoula floods. The Blue Mountains are really still part of that very rich volcanic substract. Um, that means that their high elevation, what we're starting to see in those blue mountains uh, on the eastern edge of Walla Walla is, and uh, to the east of Milton Freewater, are uh, producers and growers starting to settle into vineyards um, in those higher eastern edges on the volcanic soils of the blue mountains. 
This gives us um, a climatic factor that you know allows for a diversity of uh, growing season and climatic differenti differentiators compared to uh, eat to the western part of the Walla Walla Valley. So Walla Walla is primarily Bordeaux and Rhone varieties. There is Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc planted, uh, but primarily it's it's a region for Cabernet Merlot, um, Cabernet Franc, and uh, Grenache Syrah. So we're starting to see some producers moving up into the uh, higher elevations of those blue mountains, especially for uh, trying to extract cooler climate flavors from some of their Rhone varieties. So more pepperiness and more red fruit flavors in their uh, Grenache and Syrahs. The wind that comes up the Columbia, um, Columbia River Gorge actually comes up and blows directly into the Blue Mountains. So a very strong, powerful wind um, pushes into the Blue Mountains and actually rebounds and comes back at the Walla Walla Valley. But also what you're getting with the elevation of the Blue Mountains is a cooling influence in the evenings that allows cold air drainage down into the Walla Walla River um, that that um, carved out region um, is where the, this cold air is funneled through. Um, and this also helps to mitigate some of the frost um, issues and occurrences that can occur early and late in the season as well. Um, within Walla Walla, so Walla Walla to the west is much more, um, you know, flatter areas and rolling hillsides of um, more Missoula flood sediments. So volcanic in the east, Missoula flood sediments in the west, and then Milton Freewater is um, a very unique and distinctive AVA and probably one of the few AVAs that is um, well, it is the only ABA that's delineated by a single series of um, soils. So it's named after the Milton Freewater series um, of, of cobbles and rocks. So again, the Missoula floods rush in, they're leaving behind um, a lot of silt, but they're also scouring away with them as they drain out some of these heavier silts and leaving behind a lot of these cobbles and volcanic cobbles, which have settled in the deepest part of the riverbed, which is what Milton Freewater is. So this alluvial um, fan of an ancient river, the Walla Walla River, um, that has been drained out of its um, really fine, low sediments and has a lot of heavy cobbles in the first um, several meters of its soil. So this is where some of the most distinctive uh, Syrahs um, are being grown at the moment. Um, if you've ever had a Syrah from Milton Freewater, you will recognize it as being distinctly different to any Syrah that's grown around it because it has a propensity for um, a more deeper umami flavor, more meaty, savory, um, black olive, um, uh, almost um, like miso soup characters uh, in, in the savoriness of these wines. And some of the most distinctive Syrah that's being grown and distinctive savory wine styles um, that are being grown in the US, which 
is, you know, why ABAs are, are you know, really carved apart is for their distinctiveness. Um, and the Rocks District of Milton Free Water really has that in spades, especially combined um, with its you know, high heat degree days during the growing season, a relatively short growing season because they are impacted by frost. Um, but you can see here that they really do spend a lot of time in that upper 80s, 90s echelon. Um, and keep in mind, this is, you know, daylight, day and night temperatures um, during the growing season. So you can see a relatively good variation between nighttime and daytime temperatures, but those temperatures are very hot, very cold in the winter, very hot summers, um, very low rainfall during the growing season, which again helps to contribute to more sustainable practices in this area as well. Um, irrigation is required for the vineyards here, um, but most of these vineyards are being um, farmed relatively low or trellised relatively low to the um, to the cobbles and the rocks, um, so that the grapes can benefit from the extended heat release during the evening to keep the temperature a little warmer during the evenings and continue that immense or intense ripening um, during that, that short, hot growing season. This also adds to really um, refined tannins in the wine. Um, you taste a Syrah from um, this area and the tannins and the fruit and the density of the fruit um, are very silky and fit very um, well together hand in glove because of that um, sort of extracted ripening during the growing season and the moderation of the tannin profiles there. It's hard to get a lot of hard green tannins um, in the fruit um, from the Syrah and, and Grenache in this area. It's very silky. Um, it's very, um, you know, fine grained tannin profile that really sits with the weight of the fruit and the umami flavor profile of the fruit as well. Uh, so these are the three main soil types in Walla Walla. So as I mentioned, the loess, which sits on top of that Columbia River basalt, the basalt cobbles, a lot of which were brought with them by the Missoula floods and settled in that lowest part of the valley as well. And then the Missoula flood slack water sediments. So where the um, slack water sediments, where the water comes in, rests for you know several years and drains slowly out. So that layering that you see are those 50 year floods over and over and over again. It's like being at a beach and looking at the tide coming, you know, the waves coming in and out. Um, so very beautiful place to visit and to think about what you're drinking and how that translates into your, into your glass as well. So very, um, the Missoula floods strip away uh, the fertile soil, leaving behind cobbles and boulders um, in those, you know, fast areas of the banks of the Columbia. Um, and then they narrow through the Wallula Gap, um, where you can't really get that much water through. So that's where those slack water sediments come from, is that that bathtub that became when you can't push all of that water through the Wallula Gap. Um, so really unique soils. Um, what they do is allow the grape 
um, the grapevines to dig deep to try to penetrate for additional water and nutrients into the basalt um, below. So very fine grained um, sediments that allow the deep, um, deep roots for the, the grapevines to go very deep. Um, and you can see the cobbles here and the low soils uh, and just how intense they are, uh, how minerally and dark the soil is here. This soil also is very high um, in, in nutrients um, and in nitrogen. So these wines really do not have any trouble um, fermenting on their natural yeasts. They have very high um, yams and yeast assimilable nitri nitrogen levels um, because of the intensity of those soils and the nutrients that are left um, in those soils. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Dracaena wines? Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracaena Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracaenawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. Um, the gravel deposits in the alluvial fans are also coming from that blue mountains as the rivers and the um, and the rains wash down into Milton free water. Um, it transports further basalts down into the Walla Walla Valley. Um, and so that's how you're left with those deposits of the rocks in Milton free water. Again, um, you know, that combination of the Walla Walla River moving over millennia and leaving behind those deposits as well. So a layering effect of the Missoula floods and then the Walla Walla River movements um, from rainfalls up the Blue Mountains. Um, so the basalt cobblestone gravels uh, formed from the Columbia River basalt rocks, which eroded from the Blue Mountains and left them in that alluvial fan. Keep in mind that rivers move all the time over, over millennia. So that is where um, the Milton Free Water AVA is now. But in the past, that was the Walla Walla River as well. So those cobbles settled. They um, are two to 300 feet deep, so nearly 100 meters deep. Um, and so can you imagine trying to plant a vineyard uh, here? It's a lot of work. Um, and then all of those cobbles are really um, encouraged to remain at the top so that they can continue to ripen the fruit during the short growing season there. In addition, uh, you have the Ice Age um, floods deposit silt and sand from the Columbia River Valley and the, the winds, the very strong winds that blow up the Columbia River along the Columbia Gorge are really what is dusting the hillsides of Walla Walla. So three main soils in Walla Walla, those volcanic basalts on the eastern edge of the Blue Mountains, the um, Rocks District um, cobbles and and loose and then the windblown loose that's deposited on the northern and western hills of the Walla Walla Valley. Um, so free draining soils, 
those low soils are quite nutrient poor, um, but many people are really trying to uh, persevere with cover crops. However, given a dry season uh, and nutrient poor soils, they just don't stand a lot of chance in, in those vineyard areas. Um, so really you don't need to do a lot here um, to, you know, to amend the soils, um, but fairly, fairly poor soils and they're very fine grained. And again, these low soils are one of the reasons why the majority of Washington and Walla Walla is still on its own roots. So one of the few areas in the world where grapevines or Vitus vinifera can still be on its own roots um, because the uh, phylloxera louse doesn't really like low soils uh, and also it's quite low nutrients. Um, and, and so that, that feeling of the soils is really um, helping to prevent the spread of phylloxera in those areas. Um, and one of the few areas where you still get um, unrooted soils. So these low soils you see all over Washington and a lot through the Columbia Gorge AVA and then just down into the Willamette Valley into the Laurelwood AVA and the Tualatin Hills AVA. Uh, so they're weathered windblown soils of that really granitic bedrock and basalt bedrock um, that was blanketing the Columbia Valley. Um, and very, very free draining. Um, you really need to irrigate the vines in those soils in a hot climate. So as an overview, Walla Walla is far from the marine influence of the Pacific Ocean, but it still benefits from the winds coming up that Columbia Gorge, has a very large diurnal range in temperatures between daytime and nighttime temperature, helping to preserve the acidity in the grapes at night. And then you have a lot of different microclimates in the foothills of the Blue Mountains, where it's really ideally suited to the cooler climates of Rhone uh, and some Iberian varieties. And then the more um, open and free draining headlands uh, for the Bordeaux varieties in the, in the western part of the Walla Walla AVA. So lots of full bodied, high alcohol, very complex, age worthy wines coming from these hillsides and river floor alluvial fans uh, in the Walla Walla Valley. We're going to quickly touch on the Snake River Valley. Uh, we don't often talk about it, but it's a unique area uh, for grape growing. You can see here the soils, that volcanic basalt. So it's a dusty volcanic basalt also covered with um, low soils as well, but primarily um, volcanic basalt. Um, as you move down closer to the river, you start to get into um, carved out sedimentary soils as well. So about 70 miles south of Walla Walla, you start to hit um, the Snake River Valley. It's a very intense, deeply carved river valley um, with high, high sides to it, and the vineyards sit at high elevations. Um, it gives quite aromatic, but also um, ripe styles of wines. So uh, much more tropical fruit flavors in white wines, and then much more, um, you know, almost uh, not raisined, but very um, full, um, very um, dried fruit and complex 
um, big black and purple red fruited styles of wines from um, from that river valley. Again, the wind here is important as it um, snakes down through that river valley as well, helping to cool the vineyards. And again, it's a huge diurnal temperature shift between day and night as well. Um, there's not a lot of uh, wineries in the area and especially on the Oregon side, but these are increasing and they're showing really great promise for some really beautiful um, Iberian and Southern Rhone varieties as well. So it's a place to definitely keep your eye out for um, and a beautiful place to visit as well and not far from Boise. So if we travel west from the Walla Walla Valley now, we're going to hit, we'll drive through the, the Columbia Valley AVA, which we share with Washington. Um, and then we'll hit the Columbia Gorge AVA, which is also shared with Washington. Um, so it's uh, 40 miles long, uh, but it really does change quite dramatically uh, from the westernmost edge to the easternmost edge. So higher desert, um, much more uh, Walla Walla, Columbia Valley style wines on that eastern edge of the Columbia Gorge through to the western edge where it's a little more like the Willamette Valley. You're getting the influence of the Pacific Ocean. Um, you're getting uh, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir grape varieties being grown along with a handful of aromatic Alsatian varieties. And then right in the middle, you're starting to see some really fun Iberian varieties like Menthea and Godeo and Tempranillo being planted um, and Alvarino um, being planted and really benefiting from that cool river valley with the intense wind that blows down this valley. So you can see it's quite a small AVA here uh, on that western edge of the Columbia Valley. So established in 2004, it's um, only 120,000 acres in size. Uh, keep in mind the uh, Willamette Valley is three and a half million acres um, and the planted area is just over 2,000 acres. This is a very complex geological um, soil formation in the Columbia Gorge. You are surrounded by mountains. It has to be one of the most picturesque um, AVAs to visit and to grow wine in. Um, there's also a very fun uh, orchard loop called the Fruit Loop, where if you are there in the right time during the summer, you will just gorge yourself silly on the most delicious cherries and peaches that you've ever seen. Um, and of course, you have just a huge variety of wines um, that you can taste and and understand. So, um, so, you know, really surrounded by mountains, you've got Mount Hood, Mount Adams, um, Underwood Mountain um, are really close and really impact uh, how the climate um, really transitions here around those vineyards. So you still have, and this is one of the places where um, the Missoula floods and that bathtub ring of the flood sediments is most evident. It's also a place where you can really still see that tectonic plate collision and the sliding um, of of where Washington and Oregon come together, that crumbling of the Columbia River. Um, so really one of the most just dramatic um, vineyard region sceneries that I've ever seen. Um, and I've 
been to most around the world. So um, it's really a place not to miss if you can ever get to Oregon um, to visit. So volcanic basalt soils, very young volcanic salt, basalt soils, um, and volcanic lahars. So um, where the, volca the volcanics have spread and the lava has flown down and then eroded is your lahar soils, um, varying um, sizes and weights and densities um, of those basalt soils there. Then of course you have the windblown lows sitting on top of as well. And then the remnants of the Missoula floods, those silt and sand soils towards the, um, uh, lower elevations and the reaches that sit right on um, the Columbia River there. Um, incredibly beautiful, um, great deep soils. Um, you are able to do a lot of um, head trained vines here, so you don't require a lot of trellising. Um, you also need a lot of um, wind breaks in your vineyard because the winds here, this is one of the places in the world where um, it's a mecca for, um, you know, wind surfers and kiteboarders because of the strength of the winds that come down this valley. So you really need to pick a sheltered aspect for your vineyard um, in the Columbia Gorge AVA. And then as you move from uh, west to east, you start to get the intensity of um, the rainfall really shifting. So on that very western edge, you're getting roughly 40 to 50 inches of rainfall annually, very similar to what the Willamette Valley receives. And then as you start to move to the east, you start to get into lower rainfall. So 30 to 40 inches moves quickly into the 20 to 30. And then finally at that eastern edge, you're at about 10 to 20 inches and starting to push into um, at some of the higher elevations, these high desert soils. So again, um, more, more loess, uh, more silt and sand from the, from the Missoula floods, very free draining soils, quite nutrient poor. Um, and so the struggle here is between irrigation and wind management as well. Um, a very sustainable region where there was a lot of organic and biodynamic farmers also because of that wind influence, you really don't have a lot of disease pressure. Um, so very fortunate to be um, in that, you know, nice confluence here of the heat and the wind um, and really being able to add irrigation on that eastern side when and where it's necessary. So very precision irrigated soils here, as is much of the rest of the Columbia Valley. Uh, yams in the gorge vary. Um, they can be quite low because of the um, nutrient poorness of the soils. Um, and so uh, some soil amendments need to be made um, to ensure that you're going to um, get some, you know, some decent yams. But once you can establish a cover crop um, that you can, um, you know, put back into the soil, um, really to try to build some of those nitrogen levels, uh, you can, you can really start to build those yams. 
Uh, sorry, what is YAN? Uh, YAN stands for Yeast Assimilable Nitrogen. Um, and nitrogen in the grape must is what yeasts are able to ferment um, into, you know, the sugars in the grapes into alcohol. So nitrogen in the grapes is really food for the yeast. So when we're thinking about it from a winemaking perspective, YANs are quite important for us. Um, yeah, so YANs are, are very important for winemakers, and it's one of the questions that that most winemakers will talk around. Um, it's one of the decisions as to whether, you know, you're going to need to supplement, supplement your native yeasts or indigenous, indigenous yeast populations in the must with um, other, um, you know, nutrients um, or, you know, other phosphates um, to, to really build their population and make sure that they have enough, enough food to get through the fermentation and to ferment the wines to dryness. Um, temperature and precipitation in the Columbia Gorge, as I mentioned earlier, it's very dramatic, um, depending on what part of, uh, the Columbia Gorge that you're in. If you're closest to the western edge, you're going to get a lot more rainfall up around that 40 to 50 inches, just like the Willamette Valley, and slowly moving, uh, to further dryness as you move east. Um, weather is really moderated by the wind here, so you get quite cooling influences from the winds, but also keep in mind that you have so many mountains surrounding you that those mountains create their own um, cloud formations. And so you tend to get some more um, covered skies, uh, depending on what, um, you know, cloud formations and wind conditions, cool or dry wind conditions, um, those mountains are creating as well. And you get a very natural push and pull between the Pacific Ocean, which is very cold and cool, and the eastern part of the Columbia River Valley. And so we know that, you know, just like in California, when that eastern hot high desert country starts to heat up um, and dries out, what it does is start to suck the humidity and pull that cool coastal weather from, uh, you know, outer Astoria and the Pacific Ocean area. And that pushes back with a vengeance right up the Columbia River Valley. And you get this incredibly intense dance between the hot weather, high desert weather, and the cool Pacific Ocean maritime weather occurring there. And that's really what makes these, a lot of these uh, wines um, so vibrant and so energetic and have so much good acidity still is that confluence between that dance of the cool ocean and the hot high desert. Um, and it is also why um, a lot of, you know, the area um, in, in that Columbia River area is, um, is, you know, we, we don't really need to irrigate a lot. We also don't have a lot of intensely hot days. You get three or four hot days, and then that Pacific Ocean comes in and cools it down. So it's a much more moderate climate um, than what you're getting further east uh, in the continental areas. Uh, so this is showing the wind that what I was just talking about, that wind that pushes down from the Pacific Ocean, cold, sustained winds. Um, 
but it really only comes when this area in here has heated up so much that it's sucking and causing a vacuum pulling in that wind. Um, and then during the uh, winter months as well, this is when we get most of our rainfall, um, primarily on, again, that western edge of the Columbia Gorge AVA, uh, where the wind comes through, um, whipping through that Columbia uh, River uh, valley there. Uh, and then also keep in mind that um, this is the Cascade Ranges. So we do have higher elevations. It's just that the wind, the channel here of the river um, has made a lot of benchlands and viable vineyard areas um, to plant at some of those lower elevations. Um, and then those uh, ranges as well also help to block some of that wind and rain that comes from the west into the Columbia Gorge AVA. Um, just a beautiful place to visit, immensely beautiful and some fantastic and um, really diverse wine varieties and styles being made there as well. So the four um, soil types uh, so Columbia Gorge volcanic um, soils, Columbia River basalts, the Cascade mountain stream sediments, and then the Underwood mountain basalts, which also contribute to the Lahar soils, um, the slightly lighter um, alluvial um, volcanic flows, and then Los, and then those Missoula flat, fast slack water deposits. Um, the basalt, Columbia River um, decaying basalt that was spewed out into the valley from the Cascades, fewer nutrients than marine sedimentary soils. A lot of it scoured away in the Missoula floods um, 15 million years ago. Um, the Dells formation, you can see some of the unique um, uh, rock formations here. Um, this is literally the highway that you drive along. Uh, so you can see a lot of these eroded Cascade Mountain um, volcanics um, formations and stream sediments. Underwood Mountain, the eruption, is what you can still see hovering on the northern shore of the Columbia Gorge. Um, it's a very intense um, volcanic area, um, and it's drastically different to the southern part or the Oregon side um, of, the, of the Columbia Gorge. Um, but there's still a lot of um, weather uh, and climate that that mountain there um, really inputs, you know, um, it creates its own weather systems. And this is where a lot of the higher elevation vineyards are really being planted now. And a lot of Oregon um, producers are sourcing from the Underwood Mountain side um, and some of the soils over here as well. So that's the Underwood Mountain basalt. So low soil nutrients, but good draining um, and helps to moderate the vigor in the vine. And then these are the Lahar formations that um, come from those um, eruptions of the, of the volcanoes in the Cascade Ranges. Um, and it's definitely very old soil, has low nutrients um, and is pretty thick. Um, and retain, helps to retain soil in the uh, water in the wet part of the season, but then dries out to be quite um, fine uh, grained and, and free, uh, free draining. And then the low soils, which again are blown around um, down the hood, down the Columbia River Valley and then deposited along the Hood River AVA, but also into the northern part of um, the Willamette Valley. And you can see that represented there um, on the uh, Shehalem Mountains flank uh, and into the Tualatin Hills AVA. So very fine grained silt, uh, low soils, 
very well drained, um, retains water during the um, early part of the season, but then um, goes out to be very um, uh, fine, fine drained and uh, fairly low in nutrients as well. And then the Missoula flood soils. Slack water deposits. As I say, Columbia Gorge, one of the most <laughs> intensely, um, you know, exotic uh, regions that you can visit and you can really see all the soil types when you're visiting there. Um, it's so beautiful. You can just look at it there. Um, it's a it's a must stop for anyone. So climate transitions from maritime on the west to continental in the east, only about 45, 40 miles in length, um, and then elevations from about 2000 feet um, from sea level up to 2000 feet. So those bench lands right on the river where it's like silty, sandy, Missoula um, flood soils up to the higher level um, volcanics and lahars. And again, those winds that, um, you know, gust up to more than 20 miles per hour um, really act as a cooling and drying force in the vineyard, but they also help to slow down the ripening um, in the vineyard there as well um, as the um, stomatas and uh, shut down and uh, delay or pro prolong the ripening season there. Lots of different grape varieties planted. Um, it's a real region to discover. Okay, moving into the Willamette Valley, um, where we really just focus on three major soil types here, which is kind of nice, um, especially in a region that, you know, has a lot of the same variety, and you can actually see the differences of how some of these soils influence um, the growing of Pinot Noir uh, in, in the different AVAs. Um, and it's nice also that a lot of the AVAs have really been um, have really been outlined, um, you know, by their soil type as well, even though there's some mixed soils as well. So northern, northern Willamette is really where a lot of the ABAs are at. Um, temperature and precipitation is important. Um, it's damp, cool winters, warm, dry summers, um, pretty typical of a Mediterranean or maritime climate. Um, again, we get similar rainfall to, you know, Galician Spain, 50, 50 inches annually. Um, it's pretty wet during the spring and winter. And then in the summer, we completely dry out and dry out fairly well into the uh, fall as well. So that crucial growing season is really quite warm and dry, and we don't have a lot of cloud cover. So this means that we get a lot more UV intensity coming into the grapes. This helps with the phenolic ripening of the grapes and also helps to increase anthocyanins in our grape varieties here. So Pinot Noir in the Willamette Valley tends to be deeper colored, darker colored, um, and have more tannins than, uh, you know, Pinot Noir grown in a region like, say, Burgundy or the Loire, where it's more continental and they have more um, cloudy weather and rainfall during the growing season. We are much more similar to Central Otago um, and those other high elevation, high UV areas or Galician Spain, um, very Mediterranean, where we don't get that level of rainfall. We don't get that level of cloud cover during the growing season. And the UV exposure combined with our very warm weather really helps to increase um, the phenolic and physiological ripeness of our 
grapes. Um, so giving us, while we're such a very cool northerly region and one of the coolest growing regions in uh, North America, we do still have a very good opportunity to ensure ripeness every single year. Um, even in grape varieties like um, Cabernet Franc or even Grenache in uh, the Willamette Valley, it's capable of ripening many different grape varieties. Um, so really only hampered by this type of grape variety that's grown here um, as to, you know, the, the style of the wine. Um, wind here as well as important, it comes in through two passages in the Willamette Valley. Um, oh, I want to get to your question about um, going back to the um, to the uh, heat waves here. Um, you know, we've had a couple of heat waves um, in the Willamette Valley that have, um, you know, intense heat will shut down a grape for a grapevine. So what it does is sort of stagger our ripening process and pushes it a little bit further um, at certain times into uh, September. Um, it depends on when the heat wave hits as to what impact it is having on the vine. For example, in 2021, we had that 160 degree day heat wave in June, but the berries were only just starting to really um, set and be formed. So uh, what that meant for the vine there was that a lot of vines, especially younger vines, tended to uh, produce smaller uh, berries and smaller clusters, which really led to more concentrated and more structured fruit um, in the 2021 vintage. So um, the 2021 wines are some of the best wines that I've seen out of the Willamette Valley. They have so much fruit intensity and so much structure. Uh, they're just such giving wines because of the size of the crop. Uh, you know, not Unfortunately, that's not too good for grape growers, um, but for wine quality, um, it was really one of the best vintages that we've seen recently. Um, so yeah, those a lot of those should just be starting to hit your shelves as well. Um, really beautiful, beautiful wines. Um, and thankfully, the rest of that 2021 season really wasn't too extreme. Uh, we didn't have too many days over 95. Um, and again, because of this uh, proximity of the Pacific Ocean, like the Columbia River Gorge, um, we tend not to have more than three or four days of intense heat at a time. We get that push coming in from the east, the hot weather, the high desert, the dry heat um, that, you know, some days you get here and it can be 100 degrees and you feel this intense, you know, wind blowing in from the east that feels like you've just opened the door to a convection oven. Um, but that really only lasts for three days. And then you get the pushback from the Pacific Ocean and it will cool down rapidly, you know, so much so that you need uh, a sweater in the afternoon almost you know, reliably from about five o'clock onwards um, on many of the summer days here. It, we get very, very hot in the afternoon and then that Pacific Ocean gets channeled into the valley and really cools down the vineyards and us, thankfully, um, and helps to restore the acid or keep the acid in our, in our um, grapes as well. Um, here's a quick outline, um, very rough outline of the soils. A this is a generalization of the soils in um, the Willamette Valley. So you can see here those low soils that we spoke about, those fine-grained windblown low soils are in the Tualatin Hills AVA, that most easterly and most northerly AVA um, that catches the wind coming down the Columbia 
Columbia River Gorge. This is also one of the latest AVAs as well. It's quite cool, depending on where you're located. If you're more on the western flank, closer to the coast, you're quite late here. As you move further east, you're getting a little bit warmer and benefiting from those drying, warming winds that are coming down the Columbia River. Laurelwood District, again, low soils on the belly of the dinosaur that's standing on its head. Uh, and then you get into volcanics. So this is where the marine sedimentary soils are those ocean uplifts. So the soils here are sort of a concertina um, of how the soils have been formed over millennia. So you get the ocean uplifts and then the basalt soils that flow down into the northern part of the valley. And then you get some of them that were eroded away or had loose uh, dusted on top of them. So three main soil types, um, Laurelwood, Tualatin Hills, Loos, uh, Ribbon Ridge, uh, Yamhill Carlton, is primarily uh, sedimentary soils. Venduza Corridor, primarily sedimentary, ancient marine sediment soils. And then the volcanics, the basalt volcanics, are really in McMinnville, Dundee, and the Eola Amity Hills, uh, and the Lower Long Tom um, AVA as well, and Mount Pisgah um, of Pope County as well, which is uh, just below the Eola Amity Hills or Vendusa Corridor AVA there, um, a nice volcanic hill um, that sits out there as well. Um, active volcanics around the Ring of Fire. So just reminder that most of the, um, the West Coast vineyards um, are primarily volcanics. Again, that marine sedimentary soil, very free draining, um, but has some good nutrients, uh, but helps to moderate the vigor as well. The volcanic basalts, those volcanic basalt clays really retain the water during the uh, winter and spring months that allow us to be a dry farmed region here, majority. Um, so those um, intense, uh, you know, water retaining volcanic basalts really meter out um, the rainfall and the water to the vine as it's needed um, and really gives really beautiful um, spice and uh, red spice and uh, fragrance to the Pinot Noirs coming off of those soils. The marine sedimentary soils are, tend to be more blue fruited and plums with sometimes um, a little dusting of, of um, grapefruit um, or ruby red grapefruit in the profile as well. And then those windblown low soils, depending on how deep the loess is, remember that this loess is sitting on top of the volcanic basalt. So you get that, um, the water retention beneath and you get this uh, the vines really um, going deep into the loess to go for that volcanic basalt to reach the water aquifer um, and where the water retention has been held. So those windblown low soils really depend on how deep the loess um, is in those areas as to what style of wine you're getting. Um, if it's quite deep low soils, your wines are going to be quite perfumed, quite in that red uh, floral, red berry spectrum. Um, but then if they tap into the volcanic basalt, you're going to get a little bit more uh, structure and muscle coming through beneath um, that profile. So again, those marine sediments are formed from that um, uh, smashing together of the tectonic plates, which are the important parts of the marine sediment soils 
in Shehalem, Ribbon Ridge, and Yamhill Carlton. So sandstone and siltstone from the ocean floor. Um, they're quite pale and mustardy in color. Um, they have low pH, so less nitrogen is available in the soil. And then it forces the roots to grow deep um, in search of water and minerals. Uh, so pretty good for balancing the vigor um, of that 50 inches of rainfall that we get in the winter and spring months. Um, the volcanics um, of the Blue Mountains and the Cascade Range really formed our volcanic basalt soils. And as you can see, they didn't form all the way down into the Willamette Valley AVA. Um, it's very isolated to primarily the north and the eastern part of the AVA. Um, however, where they are, it is varying uh, depth. Jory volcanic basalts tend to be much deeper um, and more iron rich. And the Nakaya volcanic series tend to be more down in the Eola Amity Hills as you're getting further away from that volcanic basalt flow. And they tend to be thinner. So a thinner layer of volcanic basalt down then into the marine sediment soils. Um, and they're most prominent in the Dundee Hills, McMinnville and Eola Amity Hills. They give uh, wines that have a little bit more structure, um, a little bit more spice and um, tend to be uh, you know, quite age-worthy styles, but they can border into that sort of tea leaf, bergamot tea, um, uh, sort of rustic, almost tannin profile in those tannins there as well. Um, but they're very, very perfumed and very intensely floral. Um, so high in clay content and iron, giving it a red hue, um, and then retains um, water better than the marine sediment soils. So helps dry grown vineyards during the hot summers that we have here. And then after the ice age, we get those, again, those windblown silts forming on the northern part of the AVA in Laurelwood and Tualatin Hills, some of the newest AVAs. Um, and again, depending on the depth of those soils, um, they're quite vigorous, but they uh, allow um, a very expressive um, red fruit profile as well. Um, and also some of the uh, earliest, nicest, earliest drinking styles as well. The Missoula flood soils um, that came down, they're primarily on the valley floor here um, in the Willamette Valley. And so we don't have too many vineyards really planted on the um, less than 200 feet elevation of the, of the valley floor um, because of that fertility, because they're just too vigorous um, and it's too much canopy to maintain. So Scott Henry canopy system was developed here in Oregon, um, just outside of um, Eugene and the Umpqua. And uh, that's a split canopy system to try to balance more of that vigor from these very nutrient dense Missoula flood soils. Um, the Missoula flood soils here are primarily grown to filberts or hazelnuts, um, berries, and also to grass seed. So Willamette Valley Overview, one of the coolest wine growing regions, northerly latitude, but with extended hours of sunlight, we get about two to three hours more than Sonoma or Napa does. Uh, so that UV extended warmth really helps us to develop um, right complex fruit profiles in our Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, and Chardonnay as well. Um, there's a lot of um, diversity starting to happen here in the Willamette Valley as we're understanding our soils a little better and our microclimates and also have more access to, um, to, the, to more varieties 
Okay, uh, so Southern Oregon really, again, one of the most beautiful AVAs. Uh, Southern Oregon as an AVA was created in 2004. Um, it does encompass five different AVAs, which are really defined around four rivers and three major mountain ranges. Um, really varied aspects and soils create a vast different style, vastly different style of wine and quality here as well. Um, it's really a fun region to visit. Um, and it just really tacks on to the bottom of the Willamette Valley. So to drive from Portland to the northern part of southern Oregon is roughly three, three and a half hours, um, five hours to get you down into Ashland and the heart of the Rogue Valley. So Southern Oregon, um, you know, it's close to the same size as an AVA as the Willamette Valley. So around two and a half million acres, um, not quite as much, maybe around half of the amount of plantings as the Willamette Valley has, um, primarily marine sedimentary soils, alluvial gravels and volcanic soils as well. Um, again, the primary variety here is, is Pinot Noir. Uh, so Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris are really prominent in both the Umpqua Valley and uh, the Rogue Valley. What I love about visiting these regions is it's such a gentle transition from the cooler Willamette Valley and the very perfumed and lighter bodied styles into that uh, Umpqua Valley where you still get more of that, um, you know, cooler, wetter Willamette Valley style um, profile. In, especially in the northern part in Red Hills of Douglas County and Elkton that are really close to the ocean and benefit from that ocean influence um, and also from high elevations. And then as you start moving closer to Roseburg, you start getting into more of these ancient um, sandstone and marine sedimentary soils that are carved um, also by the river systems here as well. So elevation is really important, um, aspect is really important, and there are a lot of fault lines in this area. So every fault line has a different piece um, of, of soil that is really obtruding uh, from that uh, piece of land. So uh, you know, there's a lot of producers in the Umpqua Valley that are so dedicated to understanding their soils that they're planting um, very specific, you know, Malbec on this type of um, volcanic soil, um, Syrah on these gravelly soils that are uplifted from a fault line um, on the western part of, of the um, Umpqua Valley, uh, Tempranillo on more sandstone and high elevation free draining soils. So, um, the, the wine growers and winemakers here really um, are committed to understanding the soils and really getting harnessing the best from these soils here. Moving further south into um, the Rogue Valley, you start to fan out a little bit in terms of um, where the river systems take you. So to uh, the to the east, uh, you have the Cascades, which um, you get a lot of cooling influences off of, um, but this is a broader area where the sandstone is fanned out and you uh, really follow the Rogue River Valley down here. Uh, and then to the west, you're taken into the Applegate Valley, um, which again is a region that's really been defined by these um, river systems that just meander uh, over the millennia all over the place and are really carving out a lot of these um, 
different alluvial soil types. Um, so it's very, it's very um, distinctly different. And again, you know, people who have worked in this region for decades um, are really adept at understanding what varieties um, are going to give the best um, performance and also distinctive um, characters and aromatics on, on each soil type. So a lot of this area is uh, formed by uh, the ocean uplifts. As you can see, this is off, if you're looking to the eastern uh, side of the valley into the Cascades, you can see that uh, lower rainfall, uh, very much more um, open sandstone cliffs, um, quite nutrient poor, um, and just rolling hills that build into mountains. Um, so a lot of the vineyards here will be on the valley floors um, around the rivers and then just moving into the foothills um, so that you're, um, you know, you don't need a lot of that intense sunlight that you need to plant on a steep slope here. Southern Oregon is much warmer than the Willamette Valleys or the Rogue Valley is much warmer than the uh, Willamette Valley. So planting on the valley floor where the vines are going to be shading each other from the intense sunshine that comes down um, is really important. So here at Two Hawk, they grow incredibly intense um, and detailed Rhone and Bordeaux varieties primarily. Um, and this has a lot of alluvial gravels because this is, you know, where the Rogue River used to be and the Bear Creek Valley. So lots of different um, uh, uh, river systems that have come through here um, that have deposited all of these um, alluvial um, cobbles um, and silty soils here. Um, very distinctive uh, vineyard here, but really important to be on, on that flat land so that you're getting some shading of the vines instead of looking for the higher aspects where you're going to get a lot more sunshine on every single row coming down. Um, so this is where, you know, vineyard, vineyard um, management and um, and really defining where the best places on your site are um, really comes into play. Uh, so temperature and precip precipitation in Southern Oregon, as I was just mentioning, you know, the summers are warm and dry, um, very large diurnal temperature swings. In fact, some of the largest in the world, um, much like Mendoza and South, and South America, um, Southern Oregon has these drastically different temperature shifts, often down to 45 degrees overnight and back up again to 90, um, 95 degrees during the day. So very, very um, intense changes, um, very warm during the day, getting a lot of that anthocyanin development, getting a lot of fruit ripeness um, and slowly accumulating sugars, but then at night dropping back down to cool temperatures, which helps to preserve the acids um, and also helps to, you know, wake the vine up again after the intense heat of the daytime. Um, during the winter, a fair amount of rainfall in these areas and also um, snow. You know, I think I was chatting to someone uh, the other week and they just had another snowfall um, down in, in Southern Oregon. So, um, you know, it's, 
it's nearly June and we're still getting snow in parts of our regions. Um, so it's it's quite dramatic um, down here and you know also just one of the most beautiful places in the world to visit for wine as well. Uh, and the beauty of it is, is that you can transverse the entire valley from Umpqua, uh, from the north, where you're playing around with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Alsatian aromatic varieties, all the way down through into the Iberian varieties um, around Roseburg, uh, Tempranillo, Grenache, Syrah, and then uh, Alvarino, and then down into uh, the Rogue Valley, where you're really committed to Rhone varieties and Bordeaux varieties as well, because um, that drier, so, you know, um, more uh, riverbed soils are uh, really suited to some of those varieties. Think about Bordeaux and the Rhones um, in, in France and uh, it's a very similar feeling in that area. Uh, so the marine sedimentary bed bedrock is very ancient down here. Um, and then you get those volcanic uh, Cascade Mountain sediments and the Silesia terrains. Um, it's those Silesia terrains as well uh, that are really bringing a lot of aromatics to some of the Rhone varieties and Bordeaux varieties here. You get very fragrant Cabernet Franc and Merlot, lots of violet. Um, and then Syrah, again, has a lot of pepper and, um, and you know, fresh aromatics because of those, um, those terrains and the stream sediments as well. Uh, so sedimentary soils, again, coming from that tectonic plate um, and um, accreted terrain, the, all of the layered on marine sediments coming through there. Um, the sedimentary bedrock here um, has higher clay content um, and is a deeper hue. Um, and then the clay composition um, means that the, the vines really struggle to go very deep to reach that water table as well, but it really helps um, the area not have to use irrigation in the early part of the season and allow the vines to struggle and really, uh, you know, um, build structured wines and then allowing irrigation just at the very peak height of the season for a few weeks. Uh, the volcanic eruptions, um, you know, similar to the northern, the Cascade Mountains erupt um, and really start to um, loose basalt down uh, just into that Bear Creek area on the eastern side. So the lava covers the mountains um, and gives some pretty rich volcanic soil in that northern part of the Rogue Valley. Um, and then this is where you get a little bit more of the um, the structured clay, uh, the soils that are better suited to Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc as well. And that uh, eastern part of the Rogue Valley is really where you're seeing these very age-worthy, um, fine-grained tannin, um, intensely um, perfumed and, and rich, ripe um, Bordeaux styles coming out of. Um, there's a, a lot there that um, just have so much elegance and energy to them, as well as the intensity of, of the um, ripeness as well. Uh, the volcanic sediments uh, from an underwater plateau. Oh, this is the Red Hills of Douglas County. That's the only part of the Umpqua Valley that has a very intense volcanic um, basalt soil profile. Um, and it's a very, it's a single 
uh, almost a monopole AVA, um, if you will, um, with just um, one big vineyard there um, that's actually being replanted as we speak. Um, and so there should be some really beautiful and interesting wines coming out of there as well. Um, but it's it's pretty unique, but hard to find any wines from that AVA. Surrounding the river systems, which are really important in a hot, hot area, um, the rivers help to move air um, and bring cool, um, cool ocean influences. And as you can see, the Umpqua River um, and the Rogue River uh, and Applegate River, which um, is a tributary of the Rogue River, um, they are bringing this east-west um, Pacific Ocean influence coming into these hotter uh, landscapes as well. Um, pretty intense um, valleys here. So you have a very short bedrock um, or bench land, if you will, um, of that where that river has meandered and where the river is now to the bench land that it's left behind. And that's what you find a lot of in the Applegate Valley is these really lovely Rhone varietal vineyards planted on these um, former, um, former rivers that have a lot of um, rocks and gravels um, and give a lot of perfume, um, higher acidity um, and delicate structure to the wines. Um, and then above that, you have the Kubli bench soils, um, which are more structured, um, more powerful wines as well, um, coming from those more ancient riverbeds and volcanics as well. Um, so silt and sand and gravel tend to give wines that have a very silky mid palate, quite a lot of perfume as well, um, and can also help to retain a lot of acidity um, in, in the wines as well. Um, some of my favorite Grenaches and Syrahs come off these soils in the Applegate Valley and Rogue Valley, um, and they're just so elegant and so fragrant. Um, and it's nice to be able to sort of carve out parts of the AVA um, to, to really seek out where the Rhone varietals are in the styles that you like, as opposed to moving uh, over to the, to the east where there's a little more heat and weight that you're going to get into the wines as well and a little bit more structure. So cooler in the Applegate River part um, and a lot more diversity in terms of the soils um, and the terrains there. And then the sandstone and sedimentary marine soils on the eastern part of um, the Southern Oregon, um, the Rogue Valley AVA, where vines can really go deep into the soils, um, really have higher elevations um, coming into play, especially with Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, um, which are still really important varieties in, in the Rogue Valley and Applegate Valleys, even though we don't hear as much of it as we do from the Willamette, um, but really beautiful styles um, of spiced, ripe Pinot Noir styles as well that can really benefit from the vines going very deep into, into the sandstone and marine sediment soils and combined with all of the confluence of those mountain ranges, the Siskiyous, um, and the Klamath Mountains that are bordering the California border and the Cascades there. Um, 
a lot of uh, cooling weather influences are being created in those high elevation mountains and trickle down into the valley floor, which help to cool that valley um, in southern in the Rogue Valley and bring um, really bright, energetic fruit profiles and a lot of aromatics um, to the wines as well. Um, so, you know, Southern Oregon Overview focuses a lot on mountain ranges on um, river systems and high elevation vineyards, some of the highest elevation vineyards in Oregon, um, which again, help to contribute to that energy and moderation on the palate as well. Um, some of the biggest diurnal temperature shifts that again, help to preserve acidity and bring complexity um, into an otherwise pretty warm region. Um, and again, those cooling influences of the river systems where um, those rivers and waterways really move the air along and help to keep the area quite balanced. Overall, oh, how high are the highest vineyards in Oregon? I would, well, I would say that there's vineyards in Bend, 3,500 feet. Um, or up in that that area, but they're um, mostly hybrid varieties. Um, down in the Rogue Valley, um, you still see a lot of vineyards that are at about 2,200 feet, um, 16 to 2,400 feet. Um, so there's there's quite a few high elevation vineyards, but mostly the vinifera vines are uh, probably the highest elevation um, is is in the Rogue. Yeah, Roxy Ann, 1650. Um, so yeah. Pretty, pretty high elevation down there, which helps to bring, uh, yeah, Irvine is at around 2000 feet and they're on the edge, the foothills um, of the Cascades of that, of the mountains down there. Um, so depending on the grape variety that you're growing, elevation and aspect can be, you know, really used to your advantage. And so uh, Irvine and Roberts make primarily Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And so they're really looking to build in some of that cooler climate potential by seeking higher elevations and seeking some of that cool air that's going to trickle down off of the mountains uh, in the evenings um, as well. So there's lots of things to think about and play with when you're planting your ideal vineyard or thinking about where your favorite grape might grow. Um, and Oregon has just an absolute ton of microclimates and different varied aspects um, that can be really, um, oops, that can be really, um, you know, challenging for grape growers, fun for winemakers, uh, and even more fun for even more fun for the people who get to drink them. Um, so keep in mind if you're looking for um, if you're looking for a place to visit uh, where you're going to be able to get a real geological understanding of the wine that you're drinking um, and how the vines interact with the soils. Um, Oregon is one of those places that is is going to uh, really you know float your geek boat there for, for wine knowledge. Uh, there's a great book on the formation of the Oregon and Washington landscape called Cataclysms on the Columbia by John Elliott and Marjorie Burns. Thanks everyone. I appreciate you being here and happy Oregon Wine Month. Special, very, very special. You are so special. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. 
You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbutt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. No, 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 never let you go. Oh, no, 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 I want to let you go. go.